Good morning, Blue Mountain. How you guys doing? Good, good, good. I'm scared to death, so it's all going to be awesome. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have started with that as my first thing to say. But um, it's a pleasure to be here, for real. My wife and I have had a blast. Um, I'm just going to shut this. So a couple of months ago, uh, my wife and I and my family began to know we needed to transition out of Malaysia. And I began to look for some opportunities, some jobs, and see what God would do. And the reality is Blue Mountain Baptist just kept coming to mind. And I just kept uh, reading it. And finally, I was like, hey, babe, I think I'm going to apply for this. And I applied, and I got um, an email from Lance. And it just talked about how amazing the church was. And in the end, it said, and call Scott if you have any questions. And so I called Scott because I, I just kind of didn't believe that it was this good. You know, you know what I'm saying? Honestly. And so Scott goes, yeah, uh, it's an amazing church. And then as we've been here for a week, uh, everybody has just kind of echoed the health of the church, the desire to know God and make him known, the desire to be a disciple and make disciples. And uh, before I say anything else, I just think it's awesome, Scott. You know a man by his fruit. And like you said, just a few, 13 years ago, four people, and now communities being impacted, lives are being changed, and eternity is being filled. So let's, let's give him a hand. Whether, whether this happens or not, I mean, for real, it's awesome. So uh, with that, I should probably introduce, this is my wife, Shannon. She's also up there without a mask. This is my wife. And then my youngest, Maggie, my eldest, Lainey, and then my, myself, Greg. And so again, that's our family, and we have loved Baker. We were in Malaysia, in our, locked in our apartment for 10 weeks. We couldn't leave. My kids didn't go outside. And now here we are, like, which mountain are we going to go to next, you know? So it's been super awesome to be here. And as I was thinking about what to preach, I had texted Scott and asked what I should preach on, and he said, whatever you want. And so I was like, okay, what? What do I do for an interview in front of 100 people, right? And so I started thinking, okay, maybe I should share a little bit about my uh, biblical strategy for discipleship, maybe 2 Timothy chapter 2, or maybe my, uh, my heart for the nations and the heart for the next generation. I started just my mind got overwhelmed with what I should preach on. And then honestly, uh, John uh, 5, 30, did, did that work? Oh man, this is awesome. John uh, 5, 39 through, through, Scott knows this tech. I had no idea. I was just going to hit the phone and it was going to work. Uh, John 5, 39 through 40 just kept coming to mind. And it said, you search the scriptures. This is Jesus speaking. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is in John. And so what I really want to do this morning is not talk about me. I want us all to just look at the scriptures and see how awesome Jesus is and know that it's he who provides eternal life. And so with that, I really want us to just dive into Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 23. I, I don't know of a better passage that just blows us away. Blows us away with how amazing Jesus Christ is. A little, a little context as we take it out uh, of its context and look at this. I want to make sure we understand that. One, the Apostle Paul wrote it. It was a church he had never visited. And it was going through some pretty serious issues. In fact, they were very confused about the deity of Christ. They were very confused of who Christ was. And it was obviously impacting their, their Christian living. It was obviously impacting the way they were going to live out their faith. 
And so Paul in chapter 1, he just comes out swinging, right? He comes out clearly communicating that Jesus is God. And so open your Bibles, use your phones or whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it and hit the phone. This is new to me. This is awesome. So he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And he is oh man, I hit the wrong one. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Death in order to, I think this, pleased to dwell. Death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been pro, uh, proclaimed to all creation. I think I missed these verses up. Sorry. Don't be, don't be upset. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in minds, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his, by his flesh, heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I think these verses might be in, out of order, so bear with me on that, all right? Don't judge me on that one. So what we're going to do, when I go back to it, we're gonna, I'm just going to read it out of my Bible. But what I want you guys to understand is this. Colossians 1, 15 through 19 answers this, who Jesus is. Okay, and we're going to walk through that. Colossians 1, 20 through 22 answers what Jesus did. And Colossians 1, 23 answers how we should respond to Christ. So I'm just going to open up my Bible and go to Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God for the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers of authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so first of all, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. We have to stop here and realize, hey, that doesn't mean he was the first created being. Okay, Many cults have been born out of a misinterpretation of what it means to be the firstborn. And if we look at the whole context of Colossians, it's clearly saying that Jesus is not the first made being, okay? It's, it's referring more to he is outside of time. He is the first that has always been, okay? So first of all, it's referring to him outside of time. The second thing it's referring to is his authority. He's over everything. So Jesus was before everything, and Jesus is over everything, and then in verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so what I want us to understand is this. Jesus made it all, okay? Jesus made it all. It was by him that he made it. And it was through him. It wasn't... Somebody else's power working through Jesus. It was Jesus is God. Jesus has always been. And Jesus made everything. And he made it all for him. Everything we see, 
everything we don't see, every one of us in this room and every one of us in the world were made by Jesus and we were made for Jesus. It's absolutely beautiful. It also says in verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus didn't just make it and then step back and watch it. He's actively holding things together. He's right now doing the very things he wants to do to accomplish his goal, which is all things that he made restored and bring glory back to him. Even when we don't feel it, even when we look around and COVID-19 is happening, even when we look around and our country looks like it's turning upside down. Even when you're living in Malaysia and you're locked in an apartment for 10 weeks, you can take a step back and you can say, okay, you're holding things, Jesus, together. You're doing something, and I'm going to wait for it. I'm going to wait for it. And I'm going to expect some great things, God, through the pain and through the suffering, because I know you're holding things together. In verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's our boss. He's the head of the church. He's the authority over all of us. We submit to Christ because Christ is God, because Christ made us for him. And so he is the head over all things. And I love this. He is the firstborn from the dead. Now what that means here is that he was the first one to die and rise again in his glory. This is this is a little different than the firstborn being of outside of time and of all authority. This means he was the first one ever to die, conquer death, and come back beautifully glorified. He, to make him the most preeminent of all. Right? Preeminent simply means no one can surpass him. No one is greater than him. He is the greatest of all time, the GOAT, right? And I love sports. I'm not good at any sports, but I love sports. And um, there's always the argument, right? Who's better, LeBron James, Michael Jordan? Who's better, Tom Brady, Joe Montana? I like Joe Montana. Uh, There's always this argument. Here's the deal. There will always be somebody else that surpasses them. No one will ever surpass Christ. And this was a beautiful thing for me to understand because when we first moved to India, I don't know if you're familiar with Hinduism, but there's about 300 million gods in Hinduism. And so they would believe in Ganesh, whose head is an elephant, and it's a ridiculous story. And they would believe in Hanuman, who was a god, and he was a monkey, and another god sent him to find some medicine on the, in the Himalayas. And Hanuman got there, and he forgot what, and what plant to bring, so he just brought the whole mountain to Shiva. And so they had all these stories. I did not have to mock their gods. All I had to do was tell the truth about Jesus, because he's the greatest of all time. All I had to do was say, Jesus is the one who made you. Jesus is the one who is fully God. Jesus is the one who died on the cross for your sins. And then as we moved to a Muslim country, they loved Muhammad. And if, if any of you have done any type of research on Muhammad, he was an evil man. But they respected him so much. The final prophet 
um, Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. I did not have to rip Muhammad. All I had to do was tell the truth about Jesus, right? In a loving and kind way because Jesus is preeminent. He's above all things. He made all things. And all things will one day bring him the glory that he deserves and that he desires. And so Colossians 1, 15 through 19, simply this. Jesus is God. It's the basic truth, but it's the most life-changing truth. You never graduate from just saying Jesus made all things. You never graduate from Jesus is God who died on the cross and rose again, which is what we're getting ready to look at now. Colossians 1, 20 through 22. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. So this is a very intense passage because it describes who we are. We were alienated from God. We were foreigners, separated from God. We couldn't be connected to God. We were illegals, trying to trying somehow to earn our right to be connected, but only going further and further apart. We were hostile in our minds. Our minds and our thoughts had nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with God. They were against him. Our thoughts were enemies towards him. They were hostile, always competing against God's character. Also, we have evil deeds, evil actions. So, no matter what we wanted to do, there was always the, actuals, the actions of evil in us, chasing us and following us. So we stand guilty before God, separated from him, hostile in our minds. And our actions showed that our minds were evil. But then it says this. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He's reconciled us. He's restored us. He's renewed us. And so this reconciliation, it's not just let's go into an old house and fix it up. The first thing he does is he takes us who are dead in our sins, separated from God, deserving hell, and he gives us a new heart. He makes us a new creation. He makes us something completely new. And then through that newness, our relationship with God is completely restored. He is now reconciled in his body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy, without sin, separated from sin, blameless and above reproach. No one can bring criticism against us because Christ has died and rose again. We have to understand that we were separated from God, that Jesus is God and lived a perfect life, and then he died on the cross for our sins. And I love that it says, in the flesh, because the first part of this passage clearly communicates what? That Jesus is God. But if Jesus is going to be our substitute, if Jesus is going to take our sin away, then he has to also be what? Human. Human. 
right? So in his flesh, in his humanity, he cried out, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when we were alienated from God, Jesus decided to be alienated instead so that we could be with God forever. It says here, present above reproach before him. There will be a day when we get to stand before Christ because of his death, death and resurrection, restored and renewed, we can stand before Christ, worshiping him forever and ever because of the death and resurrection that he died on our behalf. I have a really good friend that lives in India. His name is Vakash. And um, I was trying not to tell some missionary stories because I don't want you to just think I'm the missionary guy, but I, I absolutely love this story, okay? His name is Vakash when he was, lives in a, in a Hindu family in the villages in North India. And in India, they have comic books uh, for all their gods. And one of the comic books that this guy stumbled upon was Jesus. And so he was reading this comic book, and he was like, I, I want Jesus to be my God. And so he walked into a church. This is, again, when he was in, in uh, middle school, 13, so my daughter's age. And he walked into a church, and the church began to take him on a horrible journey, if I were to be honest. They began to change him from his Hindu culture to a Western culture without influence at all of Jesus. Okay, And so the first thing he had to do was he had to wear a nice Western outfit. He couldn't wear his kurta anymore. Okay, He had to eat chicken and beef to prove that he was a Christian. He had to get baptized and change his name to prove that he was a Christian. So India had changed, the church had changed what we know God to do in our hearts of regeneration to something political. And as he began to become more and more Western, not more and more Christian, not more and more like Christ, but more and more American, he began to lose the influence, not just with his family, but his whole town. And it finally, um, it finally hit when he got married to a Hindu woman. His parents had to select who he was going to marry. So she showed up at, um, at the church. They were going to get married at the church, but she showed up in a red sari, a beautiful red sari. The church kidnapped her, would not bring her back until she wore a white dress. Because that's what Christians do. Nope. That's what Americans do, <laughs> okay? And so that was the final straw. The Hindu family was embarrassed, rude. Under, they, they, they could, they were shamed, which is horrible in Hindu culture. And in fact, when they, when they the, it's a communal wedding. It's usually five or six days. When the, when the husband and wife left, when Bakash and his wife left, the grandma was there. And she stopped them before they entered into, into their house and said, you have, you have shamed the whole family. I, I, you are not married in my sight. And Vikash just realized how he had hurt his whole witness by becoming more a part of a culture, right, than following Christ. And so a few days later, he was praying and seeking counsel. And there's this ceremony that you do where you, where you get into a river. You actually, this is a little gross, but I feel like we can handle it. This seems like a very ranch town. He covered himself in, in cow poop to acknowledge the sin that he's in. Then he goes into a river, and he washes his sin away, and then he pulls his ears to acknowledge repentance. Okay? 
after he did this, he realized that he had sinned because he wasn't honoring his family. He was honoring a culture, not Christ. After that, guess what his grandma said to him? Because he'd been sharing with his grandma for seven, ten years. His grandma said, now I can believe in your God. And he was telling me this story as he was getting ready to get on the airplane back to baptize his grandmother. Is that not amazing? And so that's what reconciliation is. That's what restoration is. Is Vikash had known not only did his heart need to change, but he also needed to have restoration in that relationship. So God changes our heart. And then now we get to be sons and daughters of God. We get to go before Jesus who made all things. We get to go before Jesus who holds all things together. And we get to spend all of eternity with him because he restored and reconciled us. So Colossians 1, 20 through 22, Jesus restores us back to God. And this is really important. Colossians 1, 23, Jesus restores us back to God if, verse 23 is true, if indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, we have to continue in the faith. So many times growing up in Oklahoma in the Bible Belt, so many times when I would share the gospel with people, they're like, yes, I put my trust in Christ when I was 10. I put my trust in Christ when I was 12. And I want to ask, well, are you continuing the faith now? Where's your trust at now? And then I love that, that Paul's not throwing any punches here. He says you have to be stable and you have to be steadfast. And our faith, is, it's like the stock market, right? You know, we, we look around, and it's impacted by what's going around us. Oh, COVID-19, stock market's crashing. Oh, oil prices, oh, war. And we just keep looking around. Politics and the stock market does this. And our faith does the same thing. But really, we've got to have a focus on Christ. We have to continue in the faith, hoping in the gospel. Now, here's, the, here's an interesting thing. Hope now, in the English language, it just means a wish, right? I wish you. I, I, I hope that I get this job, but really, I don't get to decide that, right? You guys are going to decide that. That's a, that's a wish. But this, this type of hope, it's, it's a confident expectation that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, God. It's a confident expectation that Jesus' death and resurrection paid for my sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world if we would just what? Continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast. Not shifting, but keeping our hope in the gospel. I was trying to think of an illustration for... uh, when we might take our eyes off of the Lord, when we might uh, not focus on Christ. And what's funny is we were eating dinner at some Mexican restaurant because it was the only one open after eight. 
And, uh, but it was awesome. It was good. And uh, I was asking Lanny and Maggie and my wife, hey, what's a good illustration? And Lanny goes, well, what about Psalm 25.1? And I was like, no, I need an illustration. But Psalm 25.1 says, Lord, I turn to you. And that's actually kind of been our theme for the last several years as we lived in India and had to move. We moved back to America. Then we moved back to Malaysia. So in four years, this will be the fourth country, right? And so I just sat there and I listened to Lainey saying, hey, Lord, I turn to you. As our lives are very unstable right now, okay, what are we going to do as the Pierce family? Lord, I turn to you. Lord, we're going to continue in the faith as a family. Lord, we're going to, we're going to be steadfast as, as life just continues to hit us with baseball bats. As we move back to America, only to find an America that we didn't leave with political turmoil, COVID-19. I hadn't seen my family in years, and they're, uh, they're high risk, so we couldn't just run up there and hug my mom and dad. You know, my sister's also very unhealthy, and she, uh, she uh, uh, has asthma and allergies and all kinds of of other things. And so she could not not resist to hug us. So she went and bought the huge raincoat, right? And as soon as we got back, she just came out and hugged us. Okay? That's not the America I left. It's not the America you know. But you know what we do know? We know Jesus, right? He's not changing. Not at all. And so we've got to, we've got to live out Psalm 25.1. When the world goes like this, we just simply say, Lord, I turn to you. When the world doesn't go the way we want it, we've got to remember that Jesus is holding all things together. So here's a few questions for you. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus restored us back to God? Are we continuing in that faith? Are we continuing in that faith? And here's something else that I think is super important for us to understand. At the very end of verse 23, Paul says, of which I proclaim. So here's my question. If we all acknowledge that Jesus is God, if we all acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to restore us and reconcile us back to God, and we all acknowledge that we're continuing in the faith, stable and steadfast, hoping with that confident expectation on that day I die will actually be the greatest day of my life. Are we proclaiming that to the men and the women around us? Are we proclaiming that even in our families, our husbands and wives? Are we talking about the gospel to each other? Moms and dads, are we talking to our children about how beautiful and amazing Jesus is? And then are we talking to people where we work in our community about the wonder, the wonderful, wonderful love of Jesus that restored us, renewed us, and reconciled us back to God through his death and resurrection? Those are some questions I want to ask you guys. I'm going to pray right now, and I think the worship team is going to come up. And I just love for you to process those questions as I pray. God, I just thank you for this opportunity. And no matter what happens, I pray that we would all obey your scripture. And knowing that it is you, Jesus, that offers eternal life. 
Jesus, it's you who made all things. Jesus, it's you who restored through your death and resurrection all those who continue in the faith. And I pray that Blue Mountain would be a church of men and women who understand that we've been separated but yet restored and they proclaim, we continue in the faith and proclaim your news, your goodness, your life to all those around us. Let us just worship you for what you've done this morning, Jesus. In your son's name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, Greg. Please stand.